Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the um, title of the talk tonight is um, Schadenfreude, Working with Your Less Than Noble Thoughts. One of the uh, gifts of practice is um, as you develop mindfulness, uh, generally speaking, there's more clarity. That's one of the, the main ideas, uh, the main principles in doing this practice. That The Buddha said, as you look carefully, um, objectively, um, to just see things as they are, that's the, the definition of, one definition of, uh, of the, the word vipassana, to see things as they are, or to see things clearly, hopefully you're becoming clearer as you do this. That is the idea. And you become uh, clearer and clearer both in your um, observing reality and in your... Um, connecting with life around you and the heart opens uh, and so wisdom and compassion and love are natural uh, expressions of that clarity and all the way to uh, full awakening and liberation. That's why the Buddha taught. When you see things clearly, the heart becomes free and the mind becomes free, and we can see. But there sometimes can be a price to pay for um, seeing things clearly and having a discernment or um, uh, increased critical thinking. And... Um, that is, well, there's a few possible mm, um, considerations. One is you can easily be sure that you're right. That does happen from time to time. Actually, you don't have to be a Vipassana or a Buddhist meditator to have that thought. I'd say that probably 99% of the population of humanity has that thought from time to time. I'm sure I'm right, and if only everybody would see it the way I do, this would be just a fine world. Um, and that's where the Buddha, part of his clear seeing is that um, to see that we can get very attached to our views and opinions uh, about things. Uh, and so he said... Um, Look for the truth, see the truth, and just know that if you have an opinion or a view 
um, there might be other ways to see it, too. Um, and certainly there are other ways to see it. So that's one thing, that you think you're right. Um, but also, um, when you are um, aligned with what is wholesome, there can be... Um, a passion about your your rightness or a passion not just about your rightness about what is uh the most skillful way to hold something and uh you generally if you're aligned with say dharma teachings um look for what is most beneficial in the bigger picture. It's one of, again, one of the gifts of practice is that you're not only so focused on my reality, but you look for the bigger picture. And um, sometimes the principles of, of the Dharma um, can be summed up in three particular uh, attitudes or, of development. One, do no harm. That's a very basic foundation for inner peace. And that's why the precepts are um, so important as the container to act. Do no harm. Because when you do harm either to others or to yourself, then um, it causes ripples in the mind and the heart. So that's one, to do no harm. It makes sense, doesn't it? A second is to act for the good. Not only to not cause suffering to others, but to, if you are truly connected, to want to be a force for good in this world, either to those closest to you or that your actions are furthering well-being. Um, and then the, the third um, attitude to cultivate is um, to purify the mind. The mind and the heart. Chitta, heart, mind, same thing. So that when you are living with integrity and you are acting for the good and have the benefit of others uh, around uh, in your your bigger purpose, that it's much easier to purify the mind and the heart and to see clearly and become free, which is really what the Buddha was offering and pointing to. So these are all very good, right? One would think. Oh, oh, I, I think. Um, it's a good thing to act for the good, do no harm, and purify the mind and purify the heart. Um, and it's said that being aligned with these brings great happiness, and not being aligned with these brings uh, great unhappiness. Okay. But when we see things clearly, and we see um, 
others not acting for the good or doing harm or not purifying their mind or be concerned with purifying their mind. That's kind of a a, a more advanced stage. First, we're talking about just being civil in right relationship. When we see others acting um, cruelly or with confusion and hurting others, um, it's painful to us, isn't it? It can hurt. And there can be a strong reaction of um, anger, outrage, frustration. And this is actually not a bad thing. This is a human thing, and it can sometimes, often, be um, be a um, a catalyst for us to act when we see something that needs addressing. And I, I've shared a number of times. I'll just share again one one little passage from um, Bhikkhu Bodhi's um, wonderful essay, "A Challenge to Buddhists." Uh, I think I might have read it here in, uh, in the last, last couple of months, um, but I'll just, here it is one more time, the very last piece. You can Google this, by the way. It's a beautiful essay. Bhikkhu Bodhi, the, for those who don't know, the premier translator of the Pali Canon, all the thick books that you might see uh, in, a, in a Buddhist section on, say, Spirit Rock. Um, and he has become a very, um, a very passionate activist in the last decade or so. And this is uh, towards the end of, of this essay. The special challenge facing Buddhism in our age is to stand up as an advocate for justice in the world, a voice of conscience for those victims of social, economic, and political injustice who cannot stand up and speak for themselves. This is a deeply moral challenge marking a watershed in the modern expression of Buddhism. I believe it points in a direction that Buddhism should take if it is to share in the Buddha's ongoing mission to humanity. So it's when you feel outrage and you feel frustration, um, it can motivate you to act. If you didn't, and you just said, oh, well, that's the way people are, then you know, not, not much would, would happen. And we need as many caring, passionate um, hearts that really want to make this a better world as we can because you know, greed, hatred, and delusion are still going pretty strong. <clears throat> but what happens when in your alignment with the good that frustration and outrage um, that understandably uh, results, uh, can result, becomes a kind of um, um, delight in itself. A kind of, um, there's a, a certain kind, there's, a, there's an energy in our anger, in our outrage, and sometimes it can be mm, um, seductive and enjoyable. I'll just mention 
in the best of worlds, sublimating those feelings, uh, the Buddha in, in one uh, pretty um, amazing discourse, the simile of the saw, it's called, he says, and I've, we've gone through this before uh, a while ago, he says, to, if you can, as best you can, to have loving kindness in your heart, no matter what is happening, to see if you can uh, prevent it from getting embittered and angry. And the sim- it's called the simile of the saw because he says, even if bandits and, uh, and thieves um, robbed you and were cutting your leg off with a saw, he says, even then, stay connected to a compassionate, loving heart. A very high bar. <laughs> Let's just be real. That's the, you know, the ultimate in what we're, uh, you know, perhaps uh, aspiring to, to not have hatred in the heart. It doesn't mean that you don't act very strongly, like Bhikkhu Bodhi says, but when the heart is filled with hate, there's a, a, a consequence to that. So in this one simile of the saw, this is the, you know, the highest bar one could have. And then there's also you know, the notion of um, skillful, fierce compassion, where you are very fierce and you take action and do what needs to be done, but as best you can from a compassionate place, from seeing the ignorance or the under- and the misunderstanding and the confusion that would make people do um, hurtful things or cruel things. You know, as I've said many times, one of my favorite teachings in all of spirituality is Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, they know not what they do. Such an amazing understanding that can, can forgive the ignorance that's, uh, that, that we see in front of us. So both of those as well as mm, when we're feeling the, the anger and the outrage to, as I've often said, to see if you can go underneath that anger and outrage to realize that the place that it comes from is this heart that really cares. Otherwise, you wouldn't be outraged. You wouldn't, you know, oh, well, that's how people are. But there's this, mm, wait, that's not right that often comes out as anger, hatred, um, frustration. And if we can go underneath that to that place that, that really cares uh, and have our actions come from that, that's much more magnetizing, inspiring, and sustaining in the long run because... Um, Anger and hatred just go so far. You get kind of burned out and, and it, it's, it, it hurts. So all of those, I have a feeling that you would agree, seem you know, very lofty and noble goals. Whether it's the 
keeping loving kindness in your heart or acting with fierce compassion or going underneath the, the outrage and the anger to that place that really cares. It sounds very healthy. It sounds very Buddhist. In a, hopefully in the good sense. It sounds very dharmic. But it doesn't always... Um, it's not always accessible or available. And I wanted to talk just honestly, just seeing in my own mind, in my own heart, this the process of uh, how to hold the anger and the um, frustration when it it turns into... Um, this feeling of um, wishing somebody ill ill will, and wish and looking forward to their demise, and actually enjoying seeing their misfortune. Maybe you have some sense of of what I might be going through. But it's been really fascinating for me. And just the giggling, you know, I have a feeling I have a sympathetic ear here and heart. Isn't it interesting? Have you, have you looked at it within yourself? Well, wait a second, my practice is about um, not wishing harm and um, not having um, ill will in the heart. Um, and yet, what's the, what's the both realistic and wise response when you see this in yourself, when somebody has the power to affect so many and turn them to anger and hatred and actually um, steer many people's lives and hearts to doing harm or to thinking um, harmful thoughts. I wanted to, uh, in this, I, I decided to, uh, again, go, go to the Buddhist teachings and I thought I'd share with you, um, just as we explore this, the uh, 10 virtuous qualities of a good leader, according to the Buddha. Interested? (laughs) This is the Dasavida Rajadhamma Sutta. 10 qualities of a, of a noble, virtuous, wise ruler. One, a heart of generosity, dana, being prepared to sacrifice one's own pleasure for the well-being of the public, such as giving away one's belongings or other things to support or assist others, including giving knowledge and serving public interests. 
just keep this checklist in your mind. You know. the, a generous heart. Two, sila, or morality, virtue, practicing physical and mental virtuous conduct and being a good example for others. Number two. Number three, um, very much like the first one, uh, uh, parachaga, altruism, being generous and avoiding selfishness, more than just giving, being prepared to, uh, to serve the public, but being particularly generous, altruism. It's like a, a further step beyond just mere generosity. Um, four, ajava, honesty, being honest and sincere towards others, <clears throat> performing one's duty with loyalty and sincerity to others. With me so far? Four. Five, madava, Gentleness, having a gentle temperament, avoiding arrogance, and never defaming others. That's the fifth. Okay. The sixth in these virtuous qualities of a noble leader, according to the Buddha, is tapa, self-control. Destroying passion and performing duties without indolence and controlling oneself. Seven, akoda, non-anger. Being free from hatred and remaining calm in the midst of confusion. Eight, ahimsa. Nonviolence, exercising nonviolence, not being vengeful. Nine, Kanti, K H A N T I, forbearance or patience, <clears throat> practicing patience and trembling to serve public interests. And ten, Avirodhana. Uprightness, respecting opinions of other persons, avoiding prejudice, and promoting public peace and order. So, be wonderful to have rulers like that. Mm. I am... By the way, just now thinking of, uh, perhaps you saw it. If you didn't, I really um, recommend it so highly. Um, Michelle Obama's speech. How many people saw her speech? Wasn't that amazing? I, I'm just tearing up just thinking about such mm, integrity and decency. It's like we long to be inspired by people who just say the truth from their heart and 
can be fierce, fierce compassion, but there's the force of truth and and love just in in the energy that the words come by. You know, she embodies these. I would give her the keys to the to the kingdom in a heartbeat. <clears throat> and you know, one thing to consider is it's it's never it's said that it's never too late to wake up and change. Um, and the, the the classic example of this in the in the Buddhist history is the um, the, the wonderful example of King Ashoka, um, who um, lived what's it three hundred uh, yeah BC uh, three three hundred four it says here to two thirty two BC. Um, and uh, he was somebody who supposedly ex- uh, exemplified these these virtues, but um, he ruled, and he ruled India for forty one years. He ruled in India, a huge swath of of um, land, and initially he was a great warrior, a very feared and fierce warrior, um, and he won many battles and caused much destruction. And he continued to expand the Indian Empire uh, during the first eight years of his reign. It's interesting that two presidential terms just happens to be. Um, And then after one particularly bloody campaign, uh, which he was at, or he uh, participated in, at least to the point where after his side won and he surveyed the land, it was just, it was filled with carnage. And something in him woke up and he famously cried out, what have I done? And was just... um, revolted by what he saw that he had caused. And as it's said in the story, uh, as he's going, uh, surveying all this carnage, a, um, a Buddhist monk goes walking very uh, um, serenely, if one can be walking serene in the midst of carnage, but walking with his begging bowl, uh, quite calm, um, not far away, and he sees this fellow who is such um, a demeanor of of grace and dignity and inner peace, and he says to himself, "How is it that I, who have everything, have such power, and ha- are are so?" feared and, res- and respected, uh, uh, how is it that I'm so unhappy in this moment and this person who just has a begging bowl seems so happy and serene? And he goes to the, the monk and he says, 
please tell me what you know. And the, the monk um, gives him first teachings in, in the Dharma, and uh, he becomes a Buddhist at that point, and he forswears his, his past actions and, and habits. And for the next 33 years, he was known as uh, Ashoka the Righteous. And he, um, let's see some of the things that, that he did. He just, his, his whole kingdom was based on Dharma concepts, um, establishing a, a just kingdom along Buddhist lines. And he was known as, uh, yeah, Dhamma Ashoka, Ashoka the holder of Dharma, or Ashoka the righteous. He promoted wildlife protection, banned hunting for sport, built universities and hospitals for people and animals, constructed irrigation systems for trade and agriculture, renounced the use of violence, ceased all military campaigns against his neighbors, instead sent monks and nuns abroad to spread the Buddha's teachings on wisdom and kindness. Um, uh, His son and daughter, uh, Ashoka's son and daughter, uh, were the monk and nun who took Buddhism to Sri Lanka, where it really took root, and even to this day, it's the it's the major religion in Sri Lanka. From Ashoka's conversion and his his children spreading it, and he he didn't promote Buddhism at the expense of other religions. Um, he encouraged tolerance and understanding between different creeds and ethnic groups. And um, he's remembered among Buddhists and non-Buddhists as a truly compassionate and just ruler who lived according to the the tenfold um, virtues. So it's nice to know that anybody can have a change of heart. Mm. But we uh, can't just be holding our breath for that to happen. And getting back to this schadenfreude, where, which means having delight or joy in the unhappiness of others, um, the opposite of mudita, you probably are familiar with mudita, which is taking joy in the, in the happiness of others. Um, for me, anyway, it's... It's been humbling to see um, how much I have been uh, delighting in someone's demise. And not only delighting, but almost, you know, at times addicted to seeing what the next thing is. Um, as well as pain. There's a lot of pain because, you know, because inciting um, hatred and divisiveness, of course, there's, there's tremendous negative consequences from that. Uh, and so that's part of this deal. Oh, how painful. But I can't deny that there's some 
some place in me that says yes. And when I when I look at it, um, first of all, I see it's it's so common, so natural. We go to movies, you know, or read books, and we're rooting for the hero, and we're rooting for the the villain to get their just desserts because there's something in us that really wants justice and fairness. Um, so, and there's also something very enlivening about it, especially after so much despair and fear. I'm, I'm thinking right now, you know, one of the great movies of all time, the uh, the Empire Strikes Back, which, you know, the Empire struck back, but there you are rooting for, you know, Luke Skywalker and the Jedis, you know, against all odds. And yes, and then when finally, you know, the, I, I hope I'm not giving it away, but, you know, <laughs> but when the Death Star gets blown up, you know, yes! You know, because there's such there's been such oppression for so long, and it's it kind of it it's dampened the spirit, and it's it's been painful, and it's like there's a such a price to pay for that weight and that despair. And then when there's freedom and liberation, uh, I was in uh, I mentioned I was in uh, Budapest and Prague this uh, this summer uh, after doing a bunch of teaching and in. In both cities, you know, there's the, there was this celebration of of um, um, removing the shackles of communism, you know, and certainly uh, uh, Nazi Germany as well. And they have all of these, you know, uh, expressions of jubilation. Yes, we've conquered the bad guys, which, you know, liberation is a wonderful thing, but when when you see the mind actually um, delighting in in the demise, it's just an interesting thing that I've been looking at, and and I don't want to I don't want to uh, go the route of well, a good Buddhist just doesn't do that. Certainly, there are different levels of reality, but all I can do is just watch it and see it, and hold it with compassion. Because if I judge it, then that just creates more problems for myself. And there's something in that, yes, that um, I think bears honoring. I, uh, there's a book that I love that uh, I've turned a number of people on that I, I highly recommend, particularly if you're somebody who thinks of being a, a good Buddhist and has certain ideas of of what what to do, uh, uh, how to hold your negative emotions. And the book is called, it's an anthology of Jungian essays, um, and it's called Meeting the Shadow, and the subtitle is called The Hidden Power in the dark side of human nature. Meeting the shadow, the hidden power in the dark side of human nature. Uh, it's 
um, compiled by um, Abrams and Zweig, Z-W-E-I-G. And it's all of these essays that say, you know, there's a huge price to pay for stuffing your um, anger and your the, the, those less than noble parts of us. There's, there's a denial of your vitality, if, especially for, say, Dharma practitioners who are just trying to maintain equanimity and inside just either seething and thinking that it's not right or that it's um, un-adharmic or um, feeling very guilty about it. Now, it's true, just one other thing about karma, karma 101, there's a great difference between having thoughts which have their own karmic impact, particularly, especially if you keep on replaying thoughts over and over and you, you press a certain tape and when somebody does something, you explode with anger, there's a price to pay for that, you know, if that becomes your MO. But there's a, a, a made, major difference between having an unwholesome thought and that thought being expressed in word or deed. Because once it's expressed as word or deed in a harmful way, where somebody is on the receiving end of your cruelty or your anger or your, your bitterness, uh, there's a lot more karmic cleaning up to do. So um, I do think it's really important to see that line, to understand that line, and to not express your anger and your hatred in, uh, in unskillful ways that have a karmic impact. The reverberation is great, is, is much greater. But to somehow hold that, hold those thoughts or those feelings, and to see your humanness, to see your humanness um, actually is, uh, can be a very healthy thing. If you judge, judge your humanness, then you are um, going to just implode or feel, oh, I'm not as... Uh, I, I'm what kind of a phony am I as a spiritual you know, aspirant? But if you see your humanness and honor it and uh, explore it with some humility and wise understanding, then what it does is um, uh, diminish your arrogance among other things, which is an important thing, to not feel you've got the answer, but to see we have it all inside of us. We have wholesome states. We have unwholesome states. And that's where purifying the mind 
comes in to see, oh, there's, there's work I need to do here, but not to pretend that you're somewhere that you're not. So I wanted to just bring this out because I've been humbled by seeing my own mind and my own heart. And, um, and as best I can to understand that people who uh, think in a way that's hurtful uh, or are swept up by a leader who talks in hurtful ways have their own conditioning, have their own causes and conditions have their own reality that I might not understand. We've talked about this before. Uh, That's a very important piece in this whole unfolding. But also um, the leader himself or herself, himself usually. You know, I've uh, often thought about Hitler and what, what the causes and conditions of of his upbringing were, I think it was uh, Alice Miller's book, um, For Your Own Good, where she goes into Hitler's uh, childhood and, and, and psyche and just seeing what would cause somebody to have this much hate. Uh, and in some ways, when uh, some ways it's sometimes easier when there's somebody so... Um, demonic and and crazed than when somebody you think, well, don't they know any better? Don't they see what they're doing? But um, it still bears that humility and that um, understanding and that holding our own confusion and anger and frustration uh, with... Um, the the heart of Kuan Yin or the Buddha. So um, before we open it up to uh, discussion, see if anything comes up from this, just would like you to um, invite you to go inside and see when this perhaps has come up for you whether it's in um, the the current um, situation that we're all going through or a more personal situation where you might wish somebody harm sometime out of anger, out of hurt, out of... Um, um, confusion. This is part of being human. And if you can recall a time when that has happened, see if you can bring the heart of uh, a Buddha or Kuan Yin that's right inside of you and hold it with humility and understanding without conclusions, just seeing 
the wisest way that you can hold this but not necessarily just letting yourself off the hook and say, yeah, that's justified, but just, oh, is this something that I want to keep cultivating? Can I hold my humanness with wisdom? And seeing that the more that's possible for you, the more understanding and forgiveness you might have for others who might wish harm. It becomes an act of compassionate understanding the more we can hold our own confusion and anger and hatred. And holding it that way gives us more access to the the compassion that expresses not only doing no harm, but acting for the good and purifying the mind and heart. So we'll open it up for comments, questions in a moment. Uh, I just wanted to, uh, before we do, read this uh, short passage that I love. I don't think I've read it here. Uh, Maybe I have, but uh, I don't recall. This is by um, Lewis Thomas, the the great biologist, um, who wrote this book, Lives of a Cell, and I have quoted him in another passage here before. But this is um, what I call fondness for each other. He says, I maintain that despite the moment's evidence against the claim that we are born and grow up with a fondness for each other, and we have genes for that, we can be talked out of it For the genetic message is like a distant music, and some of us are hard of hearing. Societies are noisy affairs, drowning out the sound of ourselves and our connection. Hard of hearing, we go to war. Stone deaf, we make nuclear missiles. Nonetheless, The music is there, waiting for more listeners. So, um, we have some time. Any any comments um, or 
things that you observe um, in these last few minutes. If you can state, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, Carrie. Hi. Um, I've been very fortunate the last couple of years to be able to go on a few retreats at Spirit Rock. And one of the things that I have come to understand about myself is that when I'm gripped by aversion and I'm somebody who can become very aggressive when I'm threatened, it's because I'm really frightened. I'm very, I feel really vulnerable. And I've come and I've made this little bracelet here with a prickly bead on it that I can squeeze to put me back in my body to remind me that when I want to kill somebody, I'm really scared, really scared. And I just came back from the retreat with Joanna Macy something that is called the work that reconnects, mm. to help people reconnect not only with each other, but with uh, what's going on inside us, because we're so shut down by how terrifying the world is right now with the planet and with the politics and with the racial issues. The whole thing is so terrifying that you know, our hearts are closing against it. And she did a really sweet exercise where in dyads, one person was like right now, middle of October this year, and the other one had come back, a young woman from, from 200 years in the future, mm. to talk to the elders mm-hmm. and say, we survived. What did you do, elder, to turn what was happening? And I said, it just came to me. I just said, the seas were not rising from global warming. They were rising from global crying. And when people all realized in how much pain we were, people made a shift. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important thing to keep, keep, our, keep our hearts in touch with how, how much every one of us is in pain. I mean, even, you know, I'm going to say his name, even Trump. I mean, he must be really scared to be acting that way. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to put yeah. that out and if other people maybe feel the same way it's mm. we're scared mm-hmm. we're really scared and let's not lose that because if we can let other people see how scared we are mm-hmm. i think we have more real contact with mm. people than if we're just mad mm-hmm. thank you very much yeah and it's what you're saying uh just underscoring it underneath anger is sometimes what is it called uh, honey crested um, with a, a root of poison, but the um, the the outward expression is one of toughness, um, but inside it's just real pain in there, and uh, it comes out as anger, hatred, aggression. Um, but just as you're saying, there's either fear, or hurt, or sometimes shame uh, is a, a great cause of of um, uh, unskillful response, and uh, as Pema Chodron says, to go underneath to hit the to get the soft spot is really uh, the work of of practice. So you're not just on that external hard hardened layer, but to hit the soft spot where there's some vulnerability, uh, then you're uh, then there's a, a a whole different possibility of transformation. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Andrew. Um, I've I've been making a distinction for myself uh, 
and I appreciate your remarks. And I, I, I think that it's different to wish uh, evil for somebody that that person is destroyed uh, versus wishing that the thing that they are trying to do, which I feel is evil, such as get elected, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is, you know, yeah. uh, that, they, that they don't succeed in that. And if they don't, the way they deal with it is up to them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I completely agree. It's, there's, that's what fierce compassion is about, where you're not, uh, it's not about the, the being, it's about the action, stopping the action. And that w- when you see that the real villain is ignorance rather than that being, then you do what you can to stop the ignorance uh, and, and act very um, courageously. And yet what I'm talking about is, is seeing in myself where that it crosses the line from, yes, we have to act, you know, as, as Bhikkhu Bodhi says, you know, an advocate for justice. And there's a place that is seeing, wanting, wanting that person to suffer. Uh, that, that's the humbling part for me. Yeah. Thank you. This, okay, one last one, and then, then we have to go. You've got to put it right next to your lips on an angle, like an ice cream cone. Okay, got it. Uh, even more of an angle. That's it. Okay. So on a personal note, a, um, a very dear friend of mine... I can't hear it. You on a person, okay. That's it. Okay, got it. On a personal note, a very dear friend of mine, young friend of mine, who is the epitome of kindness and love, was crossing, was crossing University Avenue the other day with her three-year-old and looking both ways, and a motorcycle came out of nowhere, and she was unconscious. And I'm feeling that this person is, you know, can't feel even forgiveness for this. I mean, I know she can't talk about it, but I know her so well. And I'm ready to, you know me, I'm ready to kill the motorcycles. <laughs> I mean, because that's how I, not really, but, but I'm, I just need, I want to know how to advise my friend and how to be with her in this terrible pain she feels. You, you just uh, are there to hold her pain, okay. not to fix it, not to say you should feel differently, mm-hmm. not to... Uh, feed it and say, oh, yes, you, you should carry around anger and bitterness, but just to be there mm-hmm. and witness and hold it with a lot of compassion and love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. No, no fixing, just, just being a presence, loving presence. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, let's have a, a brief um, closing metta, and here are... This might be your, is you one of these cards? Uh, there are three, three, yeah. My dear friend Ariel, hit by a motorcycle going very fast, crossing University Avenue. And then there's another one, Pamela, who's in the hospital after being hit by a motorcycle. This 
watch out for motorcycles. And if if you drive, be careful when you're driving. And special metta and healing for Jan, who just broke her hip in an accident. So those are the three loving-kindness metas. Let's send it to those three. And maybe someone in your life who is in need of support or healing. And then to all the people, all the beings in the world who are suffering, and all who are causing suffering through their own ignorance, and all beings who are happy, and all that are the source of happiness for others, as I want well-being and happiness for myself, may all know the highest happiness and peace. And may our coming here together um, ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much for your attention. Really good to spend the night with you. Have a good week.